0: Sun. You can hear their hearts beating loud.
1: Can't keep those California Indians down. Hello everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves for Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch. I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. We
2: have been resisting for 500 plus years, indigenous and people all over the world. And, at, and throughout the 500 years, we've had minor victories, but capitalism hasn't continued to expand. Genocide, movements toward genocide, mass repression, mass deprivation, colonialism, imperialism, has all expanded throughout these 500 years. But by the time we get to the 21st century, and this is, of course, what I've analyzed in a lot of detail in the book Global Police State, capitalism is in the most acute crisis in 500 plus years. It is in a crisis that it really can't resolve at this point. In part, it's resolved its its periodic crises by constantly outward expanding, by constantly seizing new resources, by constantly colonizing new territories. And of course, the front line of of, um, both resistance, but the victims of that have been indigenous communities, not just in the Americas, uh, but worldwide. Rebellion itself is not enough. I mean, that's the basis of everything we need to do to save ourselves. But rebellion has to be part of a larger political project.
1: On today's program, here on American Indian Airwaves, we'll hear part two of a two part interview with Dr. William Robinson on the global police state, what the Biden administration means for indigenous peoples in the future, the global economy, plus more. You're in tune with American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone fool in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm -hmm. And you know when Kamakani blows to the bahoo. On today's show, we're going to talk about the global police state with William I. Robinson. As you well know, uh, KPFK cannot operate unless uh, it conducts uh, periodic fund drives. And KPFK is an essential part of the public media landscape. And it's one of the few places where you can hear Indigenous voices and perspectives, such as here on American Indian Airwaves. And American Indian Airwaves has been around since 1970 in different shapes and forms and different co-hosts over the generations and bringing you those grassroots perspectives here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK and we want to ask listeners to despite the hardships that a lot of us are going through is to help keep the station alive, help breathe life into the station so they can grow for future generations and yes it is KPFK's fun drive and yes, you can support financially with making an online pledge at the KPFK.org website. Or you can pick up The Global Police State by William Robinson here on American Indian Airwaves. It's a $125 premium. That phone number is 818-985-5735, and we're actually going to play excerpts from a brand new interview we did with Dr. William Robinson this past week, and we're going to play just snippets of it to give you a small taste of what you can read if you pick up the book The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson as a $125 premium as a thank you gift for supporting Indigenous voices here on American Indian Airwaves as a way of supporting recording alternative media such as KPFK here on FM 90.7. And the the Global Police State talks about global inequity, global capitalism, and how we've reached this historical and contemporary junctual point where there's vast inequity, vast disempowerment, smaller concentration of wealth by a handful or a few thousand people throughout the United States, and how millions and millions of people are are either in poverty slipping into poverty or heading towards poverty and what we need to do to mobilize against these the transnational corporations to mobilize against global capital and help create a uh, sustainable future for all marcus
3: hey larry you're so right when we talk about the american indian Airways Many years of broadcasting. As you said, Larry, this book, The Global Police State, indicates certain things and certain aspects of capitalist accumulation, capitalism, and all those things you hear about. But one of the things that The Global Police State book by William I. Robinson talks about not only capitalism has become a system of repression, but Robinson argues that the emerging mega of the world are becoming the battlegrounds where the excluded and the oppressed face off against the global police state. That battleground of excluded and oppressed face is the indigenous peoples. What we have shown you, the listeners, that aspect of the front line of indigenous struggles, whether it be the Mapuches or whether it be over there in the Honduras or Mexico or Canada or United States, we can see that these areas of repression has really signified something and we give you those reports of the frontline struggles of indigenous peoples and their take on it whether it be the Zapatistas the Mapuches or whether it be the people just recently in the pipelines and the man camps but we see this that it's really important to give you that our listeners, that different alternative. Now, Larry, the book Silicon Valley and Surveillance Capitalism, a subsection within the book talks about the revolution in military affairs, or RMA, and that, that this chilling new system of warfare and repression made possible by more advanced digitalization, including IA-powered autonomous weaponry, such as unmasked attacks and transportation of vehicles, robotics, soldiers, and the new generation of superdones and flybots and other micro uh, drones, hypersonic weapons, microwave guns that immunize nano weaponry, cyber attack, and I can go on more and more and more. But yet, the whole point of Larry, indigenous people, we've seen in Sandy Rock and we've seen in many other struggles, that this aspect Uh, to understand what is going on and understand this new militarized accumulation of not only digitalization but the weaponry that occurred has created a sense of the culture of information technology and larry we need to know this and you need to pick up the book the global police state pick up the book it's 125 dollars that is a, a gift that we give to you for your donation to KPFK. And especially if you support the institutions or indigenous groups, your groups that are in the reservations that we reach out to, the community groups that are in the casinos, you know, that $125, couple of chips, hey, we'll take it. Your donation and you phone the KPFK number At the same time, um, if you want to go in the internet, And we're there, kpfk.org, Larry.
1: Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you're talking about the urban environment, about two-thirds to three-fourths of the native population lives in the urban environment. And, you know, the Pentagon, you know, refers to urban populations, right, where a majority of most people presently live and continue to live. But the urban environment is thought of the battlescape, the place where, you know, surveillance, Capitalism takes place, the place where militarization takes place, right? So, urban environments, right, are these concentrated areas throughout the country where a lot of native people live, where a lot of relatives live, right? They are the fence line targeted populations, if you will, for this transnational capitalist. Uh, system that we live in, uh, where we see some of the greatest and most systemic forms of oppression where people are struggling. And in William's book, The Global Police State, talks about that in really just intimate, detailed, direct, easy ways that makes it easy to understand for the readers. And that's why it's such a powerful read. It's called The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson. It's a $125 premium that listeners can pick up by calling 818-5735. 818-985-5735 or 818- 985 KPFK or visit the KPFK.org website. Even if you don't have $125 to pledge to help support alternative media and marginalized voices, or you, you can contribute by be, becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member where you can make monthly donations. What's $5 a month? If you can't afford $125 right now, what's $5 a month? Or what's even $3 a month, right? Your contribution helps fund the station's operations, which is crucial to an ever-declining public media landscape. And it's essentially important to maintain the diversified range of voices, including indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations and the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves in bringing grassroots Native American voices to the forefront across the public media landscape, across the internet. And that's why it's so important. Support American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. Pick up The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson. It's a $125 premium, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and become a KPFK uh, Circle member.
3: Larry, you could also, also we want to mention that um, within the number 818-985-5735, that's 818-985-5735, without your help, like we talk about here on KPFK, Powered by the People, you are the people. And we have bills, we have different things that need to be done. And just like our good friend Corey Dubin talked about, who's no longer with us, Talked about, put your ear where your wallet's at. And that is to say, all this, the, the transnational capitalist class, all that's a fancy word of saying that these people are interrelated. And our discussion with William uh, I Robinson talks about that Larry that we're going to play. It talks about he talks about why this is important. He talks about the merger of National International Capital. He talks about these different things. In order to understand where we need to go, we need to understand where we're at. So please phone this number 818-985-5735 if you want to support the American Indian Airways.
1: You're so right, Marcus. And, you know, one of the things when we talk about this global capitalism, and particularly here in the United States, is that, you know, Global capitalism, at its core or, or rooted here in the United States, is subsidized by indigenous peoples and in their respective First Nations, is subsidized by indigenous peoples' traditional homelands. And we've reached a point in this settler colonial history and legacy where global capitalism is at a critical juncture that can no longer be sustained unless. More and more people are driven into systemic poverty unless more and more people are policed, if you will, Unless more and more people are surveilled, which is a form of police surveillance, and unless more and more people remain and continue to be forced into deeper forms of oppression, which violates people's basic fundamental human rights. And that's why this book is so important. The Global Police State by Dr. William Robinson. It's a $125 premium. You can pick it up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPF or go to the kpfk.org website to pick up the book there or become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly pledges to help support us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK, support those marginalized voices, support those multiple perspectives that help inform, educate, and empower a larger enlightened consciousness of listeners out there in the public media spectrum out there on listening to KPFK and out there listening to American Indian Airwaves. And Marcus, we had the pleasure and honor to interview you, myself, and Fabiana Hirsch, who's part of the American Indian Airwaves Collective, of interviewing Dr. William Robinson on the Global Police State. But we also spoke with him about the implications or what could and what is most likely not going to happen Unless things change with the incoming Biden administration. And we want to give our listeners an an introduction to that interview uh, that we did with Dr. William Robinson, who wrote The Global Police State. And Dr. William Robinson is a professor of sociology, global studies, and Latin American studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And he has written several award-winning books, including Global Capitalism and the Crisis of Humanity, and We Will Not Be Silenced, uh, back in 2017. And this is his brand new book called The Global Police State here on American Indian Airwaves.
0: Dr. Robinson, circling back a little bit to the post-election analysis, which certainly relates to what you were just explaining about the importance of what is taking place internationally, how do we see the changes as we transition to Biden? And what do you expect that to bring? Because a number of people feel as though after the horrible, repressive years of Trump, Having Biden is going to be, I wouldn't go so far as to say post-racial, but certainly more open in terms of how the Biden administration may look at some of these issues, especially given who his vice president is. Right. Well,
2: I'm not I am not so optimistic, Uh, although. If there's intensified struggle from below in an organized way in a mass rebellion this incoming administration may be pushed in a different direction but let me explain why at least things being what they are right now why i'm not so optimistic but if i may i'd like to start with the analysis of the elections because we're not out of the woods and we're still going to be facing the threat of fascism and the policies at least that have been articulated so far coming out of the Biden administration, is going to aggravate the conditions that generate a fascist response. So if you'd allow me to first make a brief analysis of the elections and then culminate with this point of what we should expect. We, we know, and I know that your listeners have heard this from other people, but remember, these elections were extremely close, and they were not, for me, a vote for Biden, but a vote against, against Trump. And we know that we now have some significant statistics that 70, they were historic elections, largest elections in US history. And I think that massive participation in the elections, this massive outpouring is because masses of people are hungry for change. We know that 79 million people voted for Biden, but also 74 million voted for Trump, and they're still going to be around, and we need to analyze why they voted for Trump. And the biggest winner, and no one is speaking about this, not even not the media, no one, is 80 million people abstained. They felt there was no, no purpose in even participating in these elections, and we did not see a blue wave at all. We saw a slight change in the voting, just enough to tip Biden into victory. And we also know that racially oppressed communities massively increased their voting and tipped it over the top for Biden to win. And Trump got 28 percent of the vote from uh, people of color, and Biden got 72 percent of that vote. The, the white electorate voted in the same percentage for Trump. It didn't go up and it didn't go down. 50 percent of whites, 57 percent of whites voted for. Trump But here's the thing that has been less talked about in the media and it is class. and why this is so so crucially important is because it determines moving forward, are we going to we have a resurgence and deeper fascism and why is it that so many working people voted for Trump? So the preliminary data that we have on class, and allow me, I know this is a very long-winded answer, but I think this analysis is critically important. We know that wealthy people actually increased, the number of wealthy people that voted for Trump increased. But here's the thing, among people that are working class, less than 100,000 in income a year for a family, and especially less than 50,000, they did vote in the small majority for Biden. But 43% of poor people, 50K and under for a family, voted for Trump. So what does this mean? The reason I'm saying this is because we're not out of the woods. The threat of fascism is not only still there, but Biden's policies, as he so far articulated, articulated them, will only fuel the fans of fascist mobilization. And let me explain why I am saying that. Tens of millions of working class people, the majority of them white, voted for Trump. And so what's going on with this base? Apart from racism, there's no way we're going to justify uh, racism. And here I'm not talking about the far right-wing militias that are openly racist, the clams, the Proud Boys, all of them. I'm talking about he got 74 million votes, among them tens of millions of workers, the majority white. Well. The working class in the United States, including the, the white members of the working class that previously were comfortable, had stable employment in the 20th century, had privileged, had comfortable lives, had higher incomes, had pensions, et cetera, et cetera. These masses of white, poor white workers are moving downward. They've been totally destabilized by capitalist globalization, by neoliberalism. They ex- they, they're experiencing under- and unemployment. They're experiencing total economic and social insecurity. And how do they respond to this downward mobilization, this assault by neoliberalism and capitalist globalization going on for 40 to 50 years now? Well, they've been mobilized by Trump with a false promise, of course. In part, they've been mobilized by a coded and open racist language to say, no, the problem are um, uh, blacks, immigrants, and, and so forth. But in part, they've been mobilized and the Democrats did not mobilize them. They've been mobilized because Trump says to them, I'm going to improve the economy. I'm going to give you jobs. I'm not going to cut any jobs. They're responding to a real, Trump's message responds, it's a false promise, but it responds to the real suffering of, tens of millions of white workers who are also mobilized by the racism of trump and the democrats brought us to the doorstep of trump they have not offered anything on the contrary the democrat policy during all the obama years during all the clinton years and biden is all part of that the democratic policies have been neoliberalism. liberalism has been capitalist globalization, has been meet the needs of the transnational capitalist class, of Wall Street, of the military-industrial complex, wars abroad, and austerity at home. And all of that has accelerated the destabilization of the working class in general and those white workers, too. And if, and so it is that destabilized and miserated condition, the real suffering of these white workers, that the fascist base and the, race, the fascist mobilization and the racist mobilization recruits them on the basis of that suffering. So if the Democrats and Biden does not offer something real, some real change, that mass base is still going to be organized by fascism. And so I want to conclude, I know this is a, a long response, but let's remember what Biden has so far. This is why I'm not so hopeful, unless there's mass resistance that can push the incoming government in a different direction. Biden already said he met with bankers in new york shortly after the convention when he became the nominee and he said don't worry nothing will change i'm still going to meet your interests he also has said that he's going to veto medicare for all if it even is passed and it comes to his to his his desk he said that he's against the green new deal most importantly he's he's always for his entire career been He's he's guilty of war crimes. He supported U.S. wars of imperialist intervention all around the world. He enthusiastically embraced the invasion of, of, um, of Iraq and every other intervention. He's already promised that he's going to increase the Pentagon budget. If you look at the Pentagon budget combined with the Homeland Security and the intelligence agencies, their official budgets, not even secret spending, that is a trillion dollars a year, and he is going to increase it. He's already declared for the last 25, 30 years, he's always said we need to cut Social Security and Medicare. While increasing the budget for the Pentagon, he hasn't said anything different at this point. He's really—he's always been extremely close to the military-industrial complex, tech capital, tech capital, Wall Street, credit card industry, big farmer. He's a staunch neo-liberal. And moreover, what has he done since the election? He—he he won the election because of largely—I mean—he was tipped over largely by especially black voters who massively voted in his favor, 87% against. 88 percent against 12 percent. But he had this also this left wing of the Democratic Party, Bernie, AOC, etc., uh, Warren, and he has putting has put together a center right coalition, marginalizing those from the left. I mean, we can analyze his his uh, cabinet. So if things continue as usual, this is just a continuation of Obama and of Clinton. The crisis is going to get much worse inequality is going to get much worse there will be just as many or more wars around the world and the potential basis for fascists and racists to recruit for a fascist base fascist racist base is going to intensify so all of this really hinges i'll just conclude with this it really hinges on how us mobilizing massively from below in our social movements and very broad coalitions to force this incoming government more in a reformist or a leftist direction. Unless that happens, we're still in big trouble. We're not out of this. And I just, I know I, know I thought I would conclude, but one other point. Remember that it, since reconstruction from the ninth, late 1860s into the 1870s, the biggest reform project we've ever had in the United States is the 1930s New Deal and its aftermath. And that only came about because just like now, we were in the United States and the world was in a big crisis, the Great Depression, and it was mass radical mobilization, socialists, communists, the anti-racist and union struggles taking place then that forced the New Deal. So if the only thing that's going to save us now is this mass resistance from below so a very long-winded answer but you know i mean it's good that we see all of this diverse cabinet in terms of the faces of people now in power look more like the faces of people in the united states and much more balanced that's wonderful but that is a simply a symbolic victory it doesn't mean anything about the actual content of policy. that remains to be seen and biden's cabinet doesn't give us much room for hope uh, currently at least who's he's named so far to that cabinet
1: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. I'm one of your hosts, Larry Smith. And I'm Marcus Lopez. And you're listening to an interview that Marcus, myself, and Fabiana Hirsch did with uh, Dr. William Robinson. He's the author of the brand new book, The Global Police State. Dr. William Robinson is Professor of Sociology, Global Studies, and Latin American Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He's authored several award-winning books, including Global Capitalism and the Crisis of Humanity, and We Will Not Be Silenced. And he was speaking on the global police state and the possible implications of an incoming Biden administration and whether or not the global police state will continue throughout his administration, or what people can do to help stop the global police state. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. And yes, we are in fun drive mode here on KPFK. Please support KPFK. Please support alternative media. Please support marginalized and alternative voices such as indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations here on American Indian Airwaves. Become a supporter. Pick up the book, The Global Police State. It's a $125 premium. You can call 818-985-5735, 818 818-985- 985 KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website. You can pick up the book there, or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly pledges at $5, at $10 a month, whatever you can afford. Support KPFK, support alternative media. You can't hear this kind of information elsewhere in the corporate. Highly concentrated mass media industry or the computer and information industries. It's so important to hear different perspectives, to challenge your preconceived notions or ideas about the world that we live in. It's important to be exposed to, you know, different kinds of information that help raise the level of critical consciousness for all of us so we can move in a direction to create culturally sustainable futures for us all. Marcus?
3: Yeah, Larry, thank you for that. And we want to just reach out to our listeners, reach out to them. And we talked about earlier, Larry, on our discussion about the ever declining media landscape. Well, I want to just put another twist on that the ever-declining cultural landscape. And that is to say, say, we look at this phenomena of communications as a sense of what we hear, what we see within the media today. KPFK is not like any other radio station. KPFK is not like a station that uh, mimics the transnational capitalist it does just, just doesn't do that and you can turn on to any minute with any moment within the station and get an alternative view now be it that all they're not the same but yet when the book for example the global police state and you said earlier larry he talks about capitalist accumulation kind of redefines it again for people who are not uh, uh used to that term but when you said and you were polite that we were subsidizing, you know, the capitalists and its emergence of a uh, 13 colonies to which, uh, this mega approach to a world power during the First World War and then finally breaking out of the Second World War. We can see that the uh, capitalist accumulation and in the known, there's never been that much accumulation and that much about the development of the economy and a society given the fact that first peoples indigenous peoples indian peoples however you phrase it created the resources and the labor in order to create the accumulation of capital to europe and back to the 13 colonies and then in turn the genocide, the Holocaust, the atrocities, the murder, the rape, the brutalization, as in California, Benjamin Medley talks about the Californian killing machine, the development of this killing machine, the development of this police state that they need, the military and a militarization in order to protect capital, in order to protect capitalism. There's other Native shows, Larry, They talk about, well, they have different native people's views about their culture and whatnot, but they don't go at the root of the matter. The root of the matter is that it's a system that oppresses, alienates, exploits, oppresses a nation, a first nation. And we have to get to that, and when we get to that, then we can create the strategy and the tactics in order to say, how do we go from here? What's the kind of discussion we need to go from there? And this notion of a global police state creates an ingenious method of how we're controlled, including mass incarceration. Larry, talk about mass incarceration. Native people, unproportionately, are in jail. Police violence, we can say that police violence, just like the Black Lives Matter, talks about the violence of, of men, men, Indian men and women, and also the US-led wars who fights these wars? The proportionality, as far as over the proportionality of Native people, go into these wars, both men and women, and fight these wars. And that gives you a notion of the level of the influence of this mass capitalist class, the national class, the capitalist class, and how capitalism creates the situation of this atrocities. Now, at the same time, with the same breath, Larry, we, this book talks about the solutions. He talks about eco-socialism. I ask him on the interview, what does that mean? What's the ramifications of that? And in Indian country, as long and as well as other portions of the United States population, socialism is on the agenda. And There might not be, there might not be the, everybody understanding it or aspects of it, but within that, it gives you a good foundation, Larry, about this book, Global Police State, about where is this information and where this analysis goes to. It goes someplace and then leads there, and that this discussion will come to fruition, especially when we talk about the Biden years and what the Biden does or that uh, uh, president-elect Biden does or does not do. And so we can see this as a blueprint of our understanding. And discussions and dialogue with Native communities need to have, as well as non-Native communities, within the vast amount of what they call, Larry, this American working class that we have here in the United States, if not globally.
1: You're so right, Marcus. We want to remind listeners that they can pick up the book, The Global Police State, by Dr. William Robinson, by dialing 818-985-5735, 818 818-985- 985 Uh, KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and also become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by pledging X number of dollars per month. Help support alternative media, help support KPFK, help support marginalized voices. Here on American Indian Airwaves. And Marcus, we want to take our listeners back to the interview that we just did this past week with Dr. William Robinson. He's talking about the global police state as well as what could and what might happen with the incoming Biden administration and whether or not the global police state will only intensify or what we can do to help stop the global police state. And now, Dr. William Robinson, Professor of Sociology, Global Studies, and Latin American Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara, on Part 2 of the Global Police State.
3: Yes, Professor, you talked about, the in your book, the Global Police State. You talked about this difference between the 30s fascism national capital and the 21st fascism transnational capital. And then you talked about the preemptive strike of fascists around the world, even with the United States. In, in addition to that, you within the book you said, and I, and I read, in Europe, the far right and the neo-fascist movements were following a, ver- a very similar path to Trump in terms of recruiting formerly privileged among the working classes who are yes. suffering under the crisis of scapegoating, scapegoating Muslim immigrants, and other vulnerable sectors promising to stabilize the situation for these precarious sectors now within that those sectors this preemptive strike what is that in relationship to the indian population within
2: the united states yeah, absolutely well let's talk about that now head on the indigenous population of the united states and link that also to the issue of you know of, of resistance which is the only thing that's going to save us now but um taking that story back to put it in context as you were just pointing out that, that nazism in germany had a mass base mm-hmm. germany was in or well, the whole world was in great De- the great depression but germany was suffering more than any other of the rich countries unbelievably and the nazis reached out to a portion of the German workers and, and promised them something and that's why they got mass support. Now the other portion of the and the people in, in Nazi in, in, because fascism only has the in-group that fascists try to mobilize and say we're going to meet your needs, we're going to respond to your suffering and they do so of course through racist and fascist ideology. But the other mass of the population is excluded in, in fascism and targeted for genocide as far targeted for marginalization, for repression. Of course that was the Jews as well as the Roma, that uh, was called back then, the Gypsies, um, uh, homosexuals, socialists, and communists in, in Germany, and they were subject to to genocide. So the same thing now in the United States with the threat of fascism. Fascism has to appeal to a mass base, and it has to appeal on the basis of real suffering from that mass base. So previously I was saying, what's that mass base? Disproportionately white workers who are now incredibly suffering, who are going to be whipped up by uh, racism. But what is the mass, the scapegoats and that significant portion of the population outside of the fascist project? And that is the mass of, in, in, that is among them are the indigenous and the mass and the immigrants and the mass of of, of workers that are going to be scapegoated and, and not even intended to be mobilized by, a, by fascism. And in that regard, and you know, there's always the insight that the most oppressed are not always, depending on the political and ideological and cultural circumstances, but the most oppressed and marginalized are the most threat to the system and the most militant in resistance. So the indigenous, despite being a tiny portion of the population in the United States, has always been in, totally in the forefront of resistance. In the height of the Standing Rock, you know, the Standing Rock resistance against the, the, the pipeline, that was Worldwide, solidarity was coming in. That struggle was for, the, for several weeks and months the leading edge of popular resistance struggle uh, from below. And now there's the struggle against the Enbridge pipe. But I want to point out the lesson here is that Obama and all of his policies were anti-indigenous, anti-poor people, anti-worker. And Obama sanctioned and refused to cancel the Standing Rock pipeline until there was months of militant resistance. And then at the last minute, he, he, he canceled it because he caved in to the pressure. So if you're asking about indigenous are now mounting a massive, and, and our allies are, are ma- mounting a massive resistance to this Enbridge pipeline in um, Minnesota. And so I think we're going to see the same thing. In the first instance, I don't think Biden, anyone in the U.S. government is going to cancel that because they're tied to all of the industries that are benefiting from that pipeline. But once again, we're already seeing this is the very first big battle now mounting up is the battle against Enbridge. so once again the indigenous are leading the charge here the very first battle that biden is going to have to deal with might be this one in in uh, in in minnesota but i'll add one other thing is that our strategy indigenous non-indigenous black latino white immigrant we need to form very very broad coalitions and alliances and we need to have some coherent program because um localized resistance is not going to do the trick. And remember, we saw this unprecedented anti-racist uprising in the wake of the George Floyd murder, 25 to 30 million people, mostly young, but very, very, very diverse and and plenty of older people, too. We've never seen some kind of an uprising like that. And that's the problem, though, with that uprising. that The lesson that we want to take from it, one of the many lessons, is that people are willing to risk their lives in the street for change. But at the same time that uprising was taking place, We also had these massive struggles of workers in the midst of the pandemic. We had the meatpacking workers. We had the agricultural workers. We had the frontline health workers. One struggle, one strike after another. We had the Amazon workers uh, mobilizing to go out on strike. The fast food workers had numerous days. McDonald's was closed down here in California for several times because of of strikes. So we had this multi-racial, multi-ethnic, multinational workers' movements, and then we had the mass anti-racist uprising. we didn't unfortunately come together uh, enough. So the lesson here is if, if we want to push back to more neoliberalism and more war, which is what Biden represents, if we want to push that back. We need to form very, very broad alliances and, 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 and coalitions.
1: I want to cut, speak to, to localism, because when we talk about indigenous struggles and and uh, certainly, Standing Rock's important. Certainly, the Enbridge Energy Line Three pipeline is important. But there's so many struggles wherever people are. Right, Indigenous peoples are there, and those living histories are told through Indigenous peoples that are from the lands that most people are settler colonialists uh, at living on uh, on Indigenous peoples' lands. And I can't help but think of you know other struggles like uh, Oak Flat, which is under threat. Uh, U.S. uh, Forest Service is going to be uh, moving forward with its land exchange with uh, Resolution Copper, which is a subsidiary of Rio Tinto and BHP Billington. And they're going to build the largest copper ore mine pit in the world that when it's done, it'll leave a two-mile radius uh, open pit, destroying sacred sites and uh, amongst uh, all kinds of other ecological harm. But cultural harm, ecocide and dem- forms of ecocide and democide for indigenous peoples in that region of the world. And so there's all these different struggles in, in different parts of Mother Earth within the United States, but also outside of the United States. So in in talking about the larger national international coalition or struggle, if you will, or, or the collective pushback, How do you imagine that where it takes into consideration and centers indigenous peoples in all these different places of Mother Earth, but centers indigenous peoples in their respective First Nations is part of that spectrum of coalition pushing back against the transnational capitalist class and this uh, system of of capitalism? Sure.
2: Well, you know, i always argued and not just myself many people as as uh have more and more people are coming to realize localized struggle immediate struggles at a particular point of struggle whether it's the the standing rock pipeline and now uh, enbridge or whatever it is localized struggles might have uh momentary victories at the local level but if not if they're not connected to larger projects of social struggle and of political change, political projects, uh, they're not going to do much in the, of themselves in the in the long run. And there are important lessons here from Latin America. Colombia, which has spent a significant amount of time in, has an indigenous population, which is between one and three percent of the total national population. Yet they're in the forefront, of, always have been in the forefront of struggles in Colombia, but not because they're just fighting Uh, particularly localized struggles, but because they have linked up and very often given leadership to uh, major other sectors, such as the peasants, uh, such as uh, students and workers. And so that they've created, they're leading very, very broad alliances and the issues they take up are specific issues that are specific to the indigenous communities and the, and the resources and land which is being which they're fighting for, but they also take up issues of fundamental change in Guatemala and targeting the extremely repressive uh, system there. And look at Ecuador, the same thing. Ecuador, the indigenous, which is actually is a small majority in Ecuador, but they have always been at the forefront of any progressive thing going on in that country. But every time they leave their own territories, and they march to the capital, Quito in Ecuador, and with it, they link up with worker struggles, they link up with peasant struggles, with poor people struggles, and of course the same thing in Bolivia. So I think what we need to do, and as much as many people, you know, don't talk about class here, we need to link the struggles of oppressed peoples, such as whether indigenous in the United States or those victims of racism more generally in the United States, we need to link that with working with the struggle of the working class and have a program and a project of the working class, because what is the common denominator to all of the oppression and exploitation we face? It's global
1: capitalism. And you're listening to part two of an interview on the global police state with Dr. William Robinson here on American Indian Airwaves. And now back to the interview.
2: Uh, it's the reason they're building that pipeline in Minnesota right now is because it's wildly profitable, and because the the fossil fuel industry is experiencing uh, expansion and and profit making, and that that is the common denominator for that. Why have the meat meatpacking workers sent back into the factories where thousands got infected and 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 dozens and dozens uh, died because that's the capitalist class wanting to make that uh, profit we also know that for instance the healthcare workers do not have any money for do not have any protective, uh, enough protective equipment, yet there was a recent report that hospitals are charging uh, 18 times more than the actual cost of treating COVID patients. If the cost is $100, they're charging 1,800, 18 times more. So there's a common denominator here, which is global capitalism. And we're obviously not going to overthrow global capitalism anytime in the future. But when we identify that common denominator, then at the center, the center of our struggle, is a global working class in all of its diversity and all of its different, different locations. So, I mean, I know I'm putting out more than you actually asked me here, but I think that we've always said that local struggles need to be linked to national struggles, and national struggles need to be linked to transnational struggles and this is because at the local level at the national level at the global level the common denominator here is our complete domination by the drive to make profits by this this ruling class hanging above us and the, the political agents of the transnational capitalist class which right now is going to be the biden administration
3: yes uh, professor robinson you discussed in your book the global police state you quoted as albert einstein you said, if I had an hour to solve the problem, I'll spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about the solution. Later on, when you talked about the battle for the future, you stated any resolution to the crisis requires a radical redistribution of wealth and power, downward mm-hmm. to the poor majority of humanity. Now, social justice requires a measure of transnational social governance over the global production the financial system as a necessary first step in this radical redistribution which in turn must link to the transformation of class and property relations and a struggle for what ultimately must be an equal socialism. I think this was the crux of the matter of the book. Your comments please.
2: Sure with regard first of all to a massive redistribution of wealth and power downward that again and that is our the only way that we are going to survive i mentioned those the data about 1% controlling 50% of the world's wealth 80% as only 5% and i've also mentioned that in the pandemic this inequality has only intensified and i do not see that the in, in, even when we emerge from the pandemic it's going to continue to intensify absent this redistribution of power and wealth downward. But that redistribution will only come about through massive, through massive struggle. uh, with regard to eco-socialism, there's two dimensions to that. You know, social, all socialism means there can be repressive socialism, there can be democratic socialism, there's a thousand varieties of socialism. But all I mean by socialism there is fundamentally a system in which the resources and the labor of humanity is organized in order to meet social needs rather than generate private profit. It's all of humanity's resources, all the work we do is organized towards private profit under capitalism and organized to meet social needs under socialism. And of course, the echo part, the ecological dimension is we face an existential uh, crisis. If we don't uh, create a different social order, a different global economy, which is sustainable, uh, which can be reproduced, we're going extinct. But, you know, there was also another report just released recently, and I've been expanding on that this data in the new book I'm writing, that here in Los Angeles, there is at any given day, 135,000 homeless people in the streets. And that doesn't even include disguised homelessness, people that have to live in their cars, whole families that have to live in their cars, or families that have to simply sleep on the couch or the floor of some friend or some neighbor or three or four families that have to share a one or two bedroom apartment. So we have this massive housing crisis with 134,000 on the street, by the way, in just in two in the first 10 months of 2020, 1000 of them died on the streets. But at the same time, there are 94,000 vacant homes and apartments in Los Angeles. So we see the absurdity of a social order in which there's housing just left empty because corporate landowners, can't, landlords can't rent it profitably, 94,000 empty units and 134,000 people in the street. So this is just the absurd, absurd contradictions of capitalism because homes are not built to meet social needs under capitalism. They're built to generate private profit now. corporate landlords and the majority of those units or the majority are not individual owners those units are all corporate landlords so I'm not sure if I really responded fully to your question but the point here is that if we continue to deepen massive inequality massive concentration of the world's resources and the political power in the hands of tiny tiny groups the transnational capitalist class and the political representatives we're going to have more war. We're going to have more global police state. We're going to have more literally mass dying people that are dying because they can't survive. So, I mean, it's almost a no-brainer to say that if humanity wants to resolve its crisis, the vast majority of us facing this miserable social crisis worldwide, a crisis of survival, we have to have a massive redistribution downward. And we've seen redistribution. We've seen it at times when there's acute and massive social and political struggle
0: from below, forcing that redistribution on, on the powers that be. Dr. Robinson, to conclude, since our program focuses a lot on the indigenous population throughout the hemisphere, Abayala North, Abayala South, it would seem that one really strategic thing for people to consider since rebellion you might say, is the only alternative, but there's also been rebellions going on for over 500 years. How do you see the possibilities of perhaps trying to link more strongly together indigenous rebellions, both North and South, in the context of this fight against global capital? Sure. Well, you know, that
2: there are really two movements that are the most transnational and have had the most influence transnationally. And one, because I want to conclude with the indigenous one. The, the one is the feminist movement. The feminist movement worldwide has been the most transnational, the most that transcends borders and that links up across borders, together with the indigenous, the indigenous movements for the. Sikkim centennial in 1992, and you know you three know this much better than me. Uh, indigenous groups from every country in the Americas got together and planned a ch- massive hemispheric and really worldwide uh, moment of struggle against those 500 years. But here's the thing, we have been resisting for 500 plus years indigenous and people all over the world and at this and throughout this 500 years we've had minor victories, but capitalism hasn't continued to expand genocide movements towards genocide mass repression mass deprivation colonialism imperialism has all expanded throughout these 500 years but by the time we get to the 21st century and this is of course what i've analyzed in a lot of detail in the book global police state capitalism is in the most acute crisis in 500 plus years it is in a crisis that it really can't resolve at this point in part it's resolved it's its periodic crises by constantly outward expanding, by constantly seizing new resources, by constantly colonizing new territories. And of course, the front line of the of um, both resistance but the victims of that have been indigenous communities, not just in the Americas, but, uh, but worldwide. But capitalism now has gotten to the point where there's no human being on the planet which is outside of the system. There's no human being on the planet that has not been swept up into crises of survival in the face of this system, and we are in the brink of generalized war. We're living in a global war economy. Of course, all of that is analyzed in, in, a, in global police state. So our battles are in a new moment in history, a moment where capitalism cannot survive much more into the future, and in which the fate of every local community is now bound up with local communities everywhere else on the planet. There's incredibly new profound interdependencies amongst all of ourselves uh interconnections amongst all of ourselves and at this point but i'll conclude with this because you use the word rebellion rebellion itself is not enough i mean that's the basis of everything we need to do to save ourselves but rebellion has to be part of a larger political project and so that that's why you, my role in this i'm older and I'm in bad health, I can't go out into the streets, but my role is to try and provide the analytical and the theoretical inputs for peoples all over the world to get a better understanding of the system we are represent, of that common denominator to all of our struggles, which is global capitalism, and so that we may mount more effective rebellions, more effective resistance, and which is why I was pointing out that we had, we had 30 million people resisting racism in the streets and we had tens of millions of workers fighting back in their workplaces and those two did not link up so so you know the more we can analyze and understand the beast that we are facing the more that our rebellion will be effective so i don't know how helpful that is to leave it in the in the in the abstract but the more we can understand you know the concept of global police state is one that brings together how the system has more and more repression transnational systems of transnational repression, how it relies on war and repression in order to also make profit. It's an incredibly profitable enterprise, and how it is turning towards fascism and far-right authoritarianism and dictatorship to keep a lid on the system. So in 2020, accelerating with the pandemic, we're in a situation that we have not been in in 530 years, a new, completely new you know, quantitatively new situation with global capitalism and it's crisis.
0: The moment of silence is over.
1: And that was part two of a two-part interview on the global police state with Dr. William Robinson. He's professor of sociology, global studies, and Latin American studies at the university of California, Santa Barbara. We want to remind listeners to support KPFK and American Indian Airwaves by picking up the book, The Global Police State, as a $125 premium. You can call 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735, or visit the kpfk.org website, and you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly donations. And that concludes our show for today. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. William Robinson. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time.
0: against our fears try not to become what we've been told. wearing our souls on the thread the moment of silence is over